regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm Jacques Hopkins, and here with us as well as our co-host. How's it going, Dr. K? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Ready for another episode of The Online Course Show. We see each other right now. You don't see anything different about my setup over here. Uh, let me look. No, uh, no, 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 I don't. I got a new desk, man. And I'm, I, I get excited about weird things, but that's like the biggest thing going on on my, on my side right now. I got this new desk and I'm like so excited about it. Like probably, probably more so than I should be. But I mean, what do you think? Does it look good on camera? It looks great. Yeah, my last, my last uh, desk, quote unquote, actually wasn't even a desk. It was this old map chest. And you know, the biggest problem was it with it was it wasn't an actual desk, so there's no leg room underneath at all. And so I don't know if you noticed before, I usually was like kind of turned to the side over here. So uh, so I've got leg room now. It also gives me a much bigger surface to do things. You know, I've got this overhead camera because I have online, I do online piano courses. And so the overhead shot is good too, but uh, good for that. Uh, but with the online course guy showing things, you know, it's, it's more room for me to, to use that overhead camera, diagram things out show people how to run a successful online course business like that too. And to top it all off, it's it's uh, height adjustable. And it allows me to stand sometimes, sit sometimes, but but that's also good for just getting the, the, the framing of a video shot perfect as well. So it's an uplift desk if anybody's interested. I did a lot of research and I'm really excited about my new uplift desk. Well, that looks fantastic. You know, as we're recording this, uh, it is New York Fashion Week, I guess. And I heard heard yesterday, uh, listening to a podcast, that Lowe's Home Improvement Store is uh, partnering with New York Fashion Week because they say in the age of Zoom, uh, ah. you know, in the past, somebody that's really stylish, like they would do it all with their clothes. But picture somebody's wearing uh, Louis Vuitton clothes or whatever, these really high-end brands. And then behind them is like some cardboard boxes, like that's not fashion. And so... There's uh, in this world of the the coronavirus pandemic, it's like Lowe's Home Improvement Store is partnered with Fashion Week. So yeah, I think it's it's fantastic. It looks great. That's that's really interesting. And look at us just you know building our conversation off of each other. We legit didn't even plan that, but that that went right in line with uh, with some of my goals over here. So uh, other than than desks and fashion and, and looking good on Zoom, uh, what's going on? What's going on on your side, man? All right. Well, so uh, just to to repeat for the listeners, my course is how chiropractors and other types of small business professionals can grow their in-person business by going out and doing lunch and learns. And so um, going out and doing a lunch and learn, I would I would go and talk to like 10, 20, 30 people and I would be able to gauge, you know, how they're responding. I'd get people nodding their head saying, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I have been putting up with back pain and it's time to figure out what's going on. And at the end of the talk, um, I like my, my most successful one, I talked to 33 teachers and 21 of them lined up to like schedule as new patients at the end. And so it's really fun doing these talks in person and in person and just seeing 
seeing the energy in the room kind of build and people get excited about coming to see me. Um, since the pandemic, that's kind of stopped. And so uh, what I'm working on this week, a company reached out to me and they they asked me to come in and do a virtual, not not come in, but do a virtual lunch and learn for them. And I got to be honest, I'm just kind of cringing. I haven't actually hosted a live webinar yet. And so I've got a little um, obstacle in my mind to get over is, is what exactly, how do I keep these people super engaged and how can I still still get that response at the end? Um, in person, I know that what I say works, but um, it's hard to provide scarcity in the same way on a, a virtual lunch and learn. So that's, that's my obstacle. I need to write this lady an email back and say, here, here are the talk ideas. Um, one thing I have been talking to a lot of my patients that are at these larger corporations about how people make their their Zoom calls interesting. And one good piece of advice was that they said polls, like just polling the audience at various points uh, can be really add a lot of engagement. So Interesting. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I've, I've certainly hosted a lot of live webinars, but early on when I was just getting started, like I was so, I was so scared of it just because it was so different. Now, I didn't have a lot of in-person presentation experience when I started webinars like you do you, you do at this point because you've done mm -hmm. tons of lunch and learns. I mean, you're trying to kind of accomplish a, a, a similar result just virtually now. So, I mean, I've got full confidence that you're going to do a great job. Um, I wonder where that that sense of of nervousness is is really coming from. Oh, man, it's just the distractions of the world. Like if I have a group of 30 people in the room, like they're not playing on the phone. And I do lots of things like I'll have somebody I'll, I'll pick like a manager from the audience and bring them up to demonstrate them. So it's kind of like if you're, you're at a comedian and they kind of pick on one person in the audience, like you are paying attention at that point because you're thinking like, oh, God, am I next? Um, so lots of interaction. I have mm -hmm. people standing up, sitting down, and I'm just I have this fear that uh, with the virtual that they're just going to be distracted away by Facebook, essentially. Man, uh, that that makes sense. You you've got to figure out ways to to modify because uh, this this world of Zoom is going to be around probably yeah, for a is. while. And just to, to give you an example, I mentioned uh, an episode or two ago that I did that that uh, mastermind with Mike Michalowicz, and I think it was his first one that he did virtually. Okay. And he's he's often doing these masterminds in person, and he did this one virtually, and he. It went really smoothly. He he clearly knew what he was doing, but he certainly had to modify some of his exercises based on what we were doing. If I could give you one example, one exercise we did was called fly on the wall. That's what he called it. I don't know if he made it up or what, but basically, if we were in person, one person, uh, it, it's kind of one person's hot seat, and that person would would kind of give us all their main problem in their business and what they're trying to do. And then they would just turn around and they, they wouldn't look at any of us and they would just face the wall. They could still hear us, but they wouldn't be able to see us and we wouldn't really be able to see them. And then we would kind of talk together and try to kind of together solve his problems, right? Mm. So we weren't in person. So in, in this case, that, that, that particular person just had to turn off their microphone and their camera so that they, he could still hear us talking but we couldn't see or hear him at all. And then once we spent about 20 minutes talking about it as a group, he came back in and it's like, hey, what'd you think? What ideas did you get? Was that helpful? And so Mike Michalowicz just modified the same exercise, but for mm -hmm. virtual and it went really well. Nice. All right. 
Now, if it does go well, I mean, are you going to add like a little module to your course about doing virtual lunch and learns? For sure. That's and that's where the extra pressure is. It's like, well, this is my first at bat. Can I make it work? Hmm. Well, I'm pulling for you, and I think I, I'm, you know, knowing you, I think it's going to go well. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, you for that it. vote of confidence. <laughs> Hopefully, that's all you needed, man. So, uh, real quick, I want to talk a little bit about relaunching. Um, this is certainly something that that people struggle with because you know I talk a lot about, about a lot about my evergreen funnel. People first get into your world, they 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 go through ideally an evergreen funnel. But the question I get a lot is, hey, what do you do with people that go through the funnel, they don't buy and they don't unsubscribe? What do we do with them then? And a lot of people just kind of let them exist on their email list, or maybe they do it like a, a big live launch once or twice a year. And I don't do either of those things. I have a very dialed in process to basically relaunch to a quarter of my list every single month. And, um, and I call that relaunch magic. And, uh, and it's actually a, a kind of a masterclass that I'm going to be going over with the members of Next Level Courses here in about 40 minutes from right now. I'm super excited about that. I've finished up the kind of the slides and the presentation, the information yesterday. So um, that's that's coming up shortly in my world. And I also wanted to give podcast li- listeners who are not a, a member of, of Next Level Courses, just kind of a glimpse of, of one of many things available inside of there. Sounds good. Yeah. Looking forward. I probably won't make the live one, but I'm looking forward to watching the replay. Cool, cool. And um, and then moving moving ahead, um, this episode is going to be a lot about mem- memberships because you know, speaking of next level courses, there is a uh, a lady in next level courses. Her name is Doctor Marnie Ginsburg, and um, and she's been in there for about a month. And she came on one of the live Q and As, and I started digging into her and her story, and I was just blown away by the success she's had. I'm like, how can I help you? And uh, it turns out she is struggling with a couple little things, but for the most part, she is dialed in and she has a membership site where she helps teachers to help their younger students to, to read uh, better, more proficiently, faster. Uh, apparently, you know, I didn't even know this. There's a, there's a, there's a problem um, with, um, with elementary age kids not learning to read quick enough. And that's, that's what she helps. And we get into, you know, kind of why that's a problem and, and how she's helping people. And, uh, she's got over 2,500 active members at about, I think she said it was $29 a month they're paying. She's been uber successful and she's really serving people with this membership. And, you know, I've talked a lot about like courses versus membership on the podcast. And so this is a really good perspective of, of a successful membership. So that just kind of sets the stage for this. And, and because of her success, hearing about this, like I invited her to come on the podcast. So that's the interview we're about to hear. Um, any, any initial thoughts? Like, do you have thoughts like courses versus membership? Initial thoughts at all? I mean, I think they're both uh, great things. And uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it on the back end. But I think that uh, ideally people should be aiming to have both. That is not a bad way to go. Yeah, let's, we'll talk about it in more detail on the back end. So let's go ahead and play the full conversation with, with Dr. Marnie Ginsburg right now. Hi, Marnie. Welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thank Tell, you, John. Yeah, man, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, for, the, for the sake of the audience, why don't we start by you telling us like, who you are and, and more specifically who, who it is that you're helping right now and how you're helping them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I am a wife and mom in the Madison, Wisconsin area. Um, I've been here for about almost nine years, and my my professional mission is to help classroom teachers learn how to teach anyone how to read, whether they are working with beginning readers or struggling readers. And I've been doing that recently through um, Reading Simplified and a membership we call the Reading Simplified Academy. And we're actually helping quite a lot more people recently because of COVID. So we've been helping people figure out how to switch to online teaching. And uh, they're even more desperate to find solutions because the teaching of reading in most English-speaking countries um, is very convoluted. And we've been misled, actually, in a lot of places. So a lot of teachers are like I was at one point, just not aware of how to teach reading and confused. So we're trying to streamline that. And at the same time, get students to have better reading achievement. So you said the, the professional mission, it's help classroom teachers to finish that for me. I'm writing it down. Uh, to know how to teach anyone how to read, whether beginning or struggling readers. Now, how did you identify that this was a problem for classroom teachers? Uh, it started with my own experience. And then I talked with others, and then I read widely. And now we even have survey data to say to show that what I experienced in the 90s as a middle school teacher was not unique. I was teaching sixth grade students. My students on average were reading at the fourth grade level. I realized that they didn't know how to recognize how to read words very well, and I didn't know how to teach them. I had a master's. I paid attention in my classes, but I didn't know how to solve that problem. And so I looked into well, I just like spent weeks and months in the libraries and the bookstores trying to find solutions to that. And you get a lot of conflicting advice. Um, there are debates, endless debates. They call them the reading wars about how to teach reading. And, and they're very different in, um, approaches to how to teach reading. So it was confusing for me. And I finally found something that worked. I helped some kids in my class just sort of before school or after school who initially could not even read at the first grade level. Like they couldn't read hop on pop. <laughs> and so I did some of these activities with them. They grew quite a lot. Like we're reading at the third grade reading level um, after several months. And so that got me really intrigued. And I've been kind of obsessed with this. How do we teach anyone how to, to learn to read, particularly those who are struggling ever since. And so that took me on a path. I don't know. Should I keep going on? Um, how what how I got from there to 2020 or <laughs> well let's 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 get back to there because okay let me let me let me I, I'm very fascinated by this because well for a lot of reasons um and I, and I want to get give the audience some perspective here in just a second about just how many people you're helping right now because that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because this is this is a business that's not small like you are you are doing significant work here and you have a lot of people in your membership but for me personally like my oldest daughter just turned five and she's, mm. she's not reading yet. She's about to start kindergarten. And so when right. we were mad, I'm like, when we met, I'm like, huh, you know, this, I wonder if this is going to be an issue for my daughter. And I wonder if like her kindergarten teacher is prepared for this. So it sounds like at the end of the day, like your primary demographic of your help is, is the teacher. So if right. I, if I discover, you know, like six months into kindergarten, whatever, my daughter is having an issue with this, like, is could I come to you, or or is it more for for the teacher to need right. to need to come to you? Right. We actually have probably about a quarter of our members, and probably the audience as well, are parents and grandparents. We have a lot of grandparents recently because of COVID. So mm. 
we, I tailor the marketing to the teacher, but the resources, the activities, they work very well for the individual parent or grandparent too, if they're willing to learn a system. What I, what I, what we teach at Reasonable Divide is a way of thinking about how to teach reading, what to know what questions to ask, and then to, to use just a handful of activities. And that helps streamline the process, but it's not a type of program where it's like, uh, if you're five on page, uh, open up your book on page one on Monday and do page one on Tuesday, do page two. So there is uh, learning involved for the parent or the grandparent, or if mostly, of course, the classroom teachers to learn the system. But it's a lot easier than all the other programs. Most programs just just throw so many activities at you that you can be so easily overwhelmed. And the classroom teacher doesn't know which activities to choose. So that's where we're streamlining the process. And so I do think it could be helpful for the individual parent, but we really want those parents then maybe to be the advocate. Oh, it worked for my kid. Hey, teacher, did you know this is an easier path for your class? Because the main, you know, those right now in the U.S., about 65% of children are not reading proficiently. If at the fourth grade level, that's one place where we can take a national, um, measure. So we know it's a, it's a systematic problem. And for our kids who are low income or who are not white, the, the rates are even far worse. So it's a real issue for us as a country. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so pretty passionate about it. Yeah. So you, you've identified this problem and the problem still exists today, but like, why is this such a problem? Yeah. Yeah. It's very perplexing and it's maddening that it's persisting because we actually have quite a lot of, of, reading research that shows that um, how, what generally what we should do to serve our students. And we've been teaching teachers in many university settings, certainly not all, but many, we've been teaching them approaches that are contrary to the science. And so it's, um, this is where that reading wars thing that I alluded to earlier comes up. And so I think that in the midst of fighting, which almost becomes partisan, just like Republican and Democrat, it's harder to hear truth and it's harder to get the truth out. And so that's where we've been um, kind of spiraling for the last couple decades, actually. There, is some, there are some bright, li- uh, bright stars recently um, that seems like that shows that maybe some more um, of the science is getting into the hands of classroom teachers, but it is slow going because they were, a lot of the teachers were like I was. I was equipped to learn a lot of different things about how to teach, but I wasn't equipped to learn how to teach kids how to read the words. And I was actually told some things that we now know are not true. And that's just a really hard, um, a hard belief to, um, to throw away. Mm-hmm. So that is why I think that's one of the main reasons. Of course, there are a lot of other challenges that our teachers and our schools and our families face particularly now more than ever with COVID, but this is a systemic problem that goes back decades. And I think that if we were to share some of the best practices that we know from the science, I think we'd have a lot different data. In fact, research um, shows that when researchers go in and give good practice to children who are struggling, that the rate of difficulty could go down to as little as 5%, 3%. Some studies wow. have shown that. So when we're looking at 65%, you can see there's a gap. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if I could summarize what you're saying, the main problem is it's, it sounds like it's, um, it's, it's just that not all the, all the teachers are, are in your opinion, teaching it the, the right way. 
And there is a lot of disagreement on what that right way is. And when you say that, like it resonates with me as far as piano goes, because I don't know about you, but like how many people do you know that have taken piano lessons, but don't actually know how to play? You're raising your hand. Like, do you know how to play? I do. But I mean, I (laughs) capped out at the sixth grade level because I, I never, it was not really much fun. Right. Well, there's so many people that have taken piano lessons and can't do anything on the piano today. There's a piano like, hey, you used to play, like go play something, can't do a single thing. And in my opinion, that's because of the information, the way it's being Mm -hmm. taught. And the way it's being taught primarily to kids. And when you go to in-person piano lessons, it works for a small percentage of people. Right. right. And so probably the methods of, of teaching to read, like it probably works for a small percentage of people. You're but, right. but I think what I'm hearing is that for most people, a different way is better. And, ex- and it's exactly the same with piano, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a fair comparison. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. You're apt there. Goodness. We got to, we got to fight this together, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you are, I mean, that's what you're trying to do with readingsimplified.com and reading simplified Academy. And so Reading Simplified Academy is a membership site. People pay monthly. I guess you probably have some yearly options as well. That's right. About mm-hmm. how many active members do you have? Um, we're um, past 2,500 right now. 2,500 members. About how much does it cost to join? It's $29 a month or for an annual rate of 247 the first year or 147 the following year. So we kind of reward those who stick around. Okay. And, and this is, would you, if I said, Hey, Marnie, do you have an online course? Would you say yes? Or would you say, no, mm-hmm. I have a membership? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. I do have an online course because the membership's first most important objective is to get the teachers and the, the few parents and grandparents to go through a course. that's very, um, very guided and sequential. And then Along the way, they receive support from us, particularly through a discussion board with me and other reading coaches in there. And then when they're finished with that main course, then we have additional courses. So if they want to go deeper, they can stay as members and get deeper understanding of how to teach anyone how to read. But it's a course, the the course format is a really important part of it. It's not just pick, pick around based on your preference. I'm trying to really guide people to take a step-by-step approach to learn this system because um, it's only eight to 10 hours, which is, I say only because most other programs, if you were to to learn a new reading program, you would go for at least a week of in-person training, and then you would still have a lot of questions. You wouldn't know how to do it with your your students the next Monday. So Mm -hmm. we have, um, the course is fairly economical in terms of time as well. And that's really important because a lot of these teachers were like I was. I didn't go back to school to learn how to teach reading. I just did it on my own time. And I'd love to get to the place where our universities are more systematically teaching effective reading practices. But in the meantime, we have a lot of folks in the field that need to learn something yesterday. So the, the courses that you offer, is that just included in the monthly membership or is that a separate right. fee? It's all together. So the membership okay. it includes the course, additional courses, lots of student resources that they can download, and then also that online support. So you basically have one offering. You're trying to get as many people as possible yes. to sign up for this, what's essentially a monthly membership. Right. Why, why did you go that route over just charging right. for the courses one time? Well, um, 
there, there are a couple different reasons. One of the reasons was when, when in my development as an online business person, I don't, I, di- I didn't come to this to be an, a business person. This is secondary motivation to get the word out. Cause well, I have well, you're a- doing very well for that being the case. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's take it. It's because of people like you and a lot of people that have helped me along the way. So uh, I found you through Pat Flynn and I was, I knew what you were saying was, was, was exactly what I needed. So that's when I started following you. Well, several years ago, I was listening to another Pat Flynn um, podcast and I found the flip lifestyle because those were two teachers on uh, Shane and Jocelyn Sams. They were talking about their education business. So I was following them early on in my development to put all these pieces together, the WordPress plugins, all the stuff that you need. And they made their transition to memberships at the same time that I was thinking about course membership back and forth. And so that was one thing just as a young developing business person that kind of spurred that on. But also, I, I knew that the, the gist of what we teach at Reading Simplified is fairly simple, and it doesn't take a lot of time. Like I said, it's only a handful of activities. But if you want to become a master at it, it's not going to be just eight hours. You're going to work with the, the five kids that you have this year that struggle. Well, somebody next year is going to look a little different. And so we wanted to provide an, a community that's ongoing for those who wanted to go deeper. And that was one of the th- reasons that I thought the membership was a better fit. And that's what we have seen. Those that go through the course, learn it. Uh, many of them are remaining because they want, uh, of course, ongoing training, but answers to tricky question problems when they encounter them. So what, what somebody gets when they sign up is, is access to all the courses that you have and then the, the community as well. Um, what, what else? Uh, any other interactive components or anything? Well, the, the, the main course that I was mentioning to you is actually, um, it's drip course. So they can't go to unit two till they've done unit one. They have to watch the video. And in most, uh, units, there's a quiz. So they get a little feedback that way. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a, a a cyclical learning rhythm that we encourage them to take advantage of. So they learn an activity. One of our most famous activities is called switch it. And so they learn that through the videos, then they try it with at least one child and then they report about it in the teacher's lounge. That's our um, term for our online discussion board. And then they go back through the cycle, learn about the next activity, add that into their repertoire. So they're now doing switch it and read it. The second activity, they reflect upon it in the teacher's lounge. So we see a lot of, people going through the course and going through that reflection process. And that is super fun for me and my reading coaches. But um, I think it's an important part of how they learn. And then along the way, as they go through more and more units, they get more and more resources. So we have over a thousand pages of differentiated kindergarten through fifth grade reading materials that align directly with the activities. So when they're ready to figure out how to handle those tricky long vowels, then they get to this activity we call sort it. They learn about sort it, and they also get tons of sort it pages and text to read that align with the particular level they're in. And that is, um, that is a really big part of that course so that we don't want to give them that information before they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, a Facebook group. We have, you know, we have um, bonus events, kind of social things. I have, just recently, fairly recently, have added on a community manager and she'll do just a hangout on Facebook with people. And she also does a welcome tour monthly. So we have some other things that aren't really our, 
that, that we're just filling out to make it a community that's dynamic and engaged. But the core really is the main course, additional trainings, student resources, and then a discussion mm -hmm. forum. Yeah. And that's great that you have the community manager now. And it sounds like she's, she's going live. Is, is it a she? A, yeah. Yeah. A she. Yeah. Okay. She's going live in there, but you know, you're, you're a member of, of, of one of my programs, next level courses. And, and as you know, I do basically group coaching once a week yeah. inside of there. So have you thought about adding something yeah. like that with either yes. yourself or somebody else being the leader of that? Right. Definitely. I, I bet. Yeah. When you saw when you said you were doing this weekly, I started thinking, Oh, maybe I should do that. When I got started, there wasn't enough interest or availability to do that. And so these are busy teachers. And so now we definitely have a cohort that's large enough that, that, that people would show up. But mm -hmm. I do occasional FAQ nights and those are generally well-received, but they haven't been there. I, I just need us probably to implement a system where it's a little more reliable. But what's tricky for me as a pa family person, um, you know, I have three girls, two now just went to college, which is very strange. One's a freshman, one's a sophomore, but um, teachers don't really need this kind of training during the day, they need it at night. And I already do a, a week, a weekly Facebook live to the public. So I've been trying to think, do I want to add another mm -hmm. weekly not thing, you know, or a Saturday morning? So yeah, I love what you're doing. And I definitely think that's a very great way to get engagement. So I'm going to, I've been toying around with it, but I haven't landed yet. Yeah. With, with online courses and, and memberships where a lot of the content is, is pre-recorded or, or pre-written down, I know you have more than just videos um, there. You, you miss out on some of that one-on-one -on -one engagement, personal feedback. And um, I'm always looking for ways to, to make, uh, make our programs um, as good as possible, you know, as good right. as, as, as close to uh, the ideal world where like I go fly out to your house and work with you one-on-one -on -one where that's not practical. How can we take some of those elements and, uh, and ensure your success as much as possible? But for you, I mean, a $29 a month membership is not very expensive. And no. I think if you were to add that, you know, you could maybe have another tier, like a higher paying tier for, yeah. I've tried to keep it deliberately low because yeah. a lot of teachers are paying out of pocket. Some of them do get their, um, their administration to pay for it, but mm. the majority do pay for it out of pocket. And teachers in America, as you know, don't in general get paid very well. Yeah, I, so, I totally get it. So, so you mentioned <laughs> the discussion board and then you also talked about a Facebook group. Those are two different things. Yeah, exactly. That is, I've been challenged on that. Um, the discussion board is, it has its virtues of being threaded and searchable, and it, it directly relates to the, the content that the teacher's going through at that given time, like switch it, they write in the switch it board. And, it, and so that organization seems to be very helpful, but the, the dynamic nature of Facebook is also helpful. And so we have kind of two different communities and different people are in the different communities, depending on what's interesting to them. So I have worried that it's like splitting the focus, but I, I, I we're at that size now where I feel like it's, um, it's a virtue because people are already on Facebook. Yeah. I'm actually thinking about uh, adding out a mobile app. So it's a little easier to do on the phone, but you know, that's a big rigmarole. <laughs> so I haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different discussion. So yeah, yeah. I like, I mean, I kind of like to some extent that you have the, the community in two places because there are advantages to having, and I've, and I've been talking about this on the podcast lately about communities. 
Facebook groups versus not Facebook groups, but there's advantages to Facebook groups. There's certainly right. advantages to not uh, having a Facebook group. And so if I ever do move like my piano group or the next level courses group like off of Facebook, I feel like it, it, we kind of need both because that way we can serve uh, the different types of people. What software are you using to like, all right, let's, where, where's your course? Like what, what mm-hmm. software are you using for your course right. and what are you using for the discussion board? Mm-hmm. We are on a WordPress site. We use Learn Dash mm-hmm. for the course content and Buddy Boss for the discussion board. So by That's doing, fairly- by doing those as both as WordPress plugins, are they basically the same place for the end user? Oh yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look any different for the user. It's just different tabs at the top of the of the um, website. Okay. I've definitely had uh, a few people come on the podcast that say they're using Learn Dash and do like it. Uh, yeah. Most people are using um, using platforms that are not WordPress, like a Thinkific or right. um, Teachable. Are, are you thinking about moving to something like that? Or you feel I did think good? about it. Yeah, I did think about it about two years ago because we had trouble with the technology. I was using BB Press, which was uh, open source or and I wasn't... And I didn't know where to go for my tech problems. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, all those other sites at the time when I was looking into it, they didn't really have a, a forum option that was integrated with the course. Maybe they have it now. Um, but now we have something that's really smoothly running. And every now and then a plugin breaks or whatever, but generally it runs really well. And so I don't want to go back and add a, a monthly bill. <laughs> um, but that was the reason that I opted away from that. At uh, maybe it was two years ago. Okay. What about? Yeah, we certainly have moved over the years. Sure. From different as, as most people, most people yeah. at your level do, and we're always wondering if we're in the best place, and always seeing if there's a brighter, shinier thing out there. I'm right. certainly in that camp. Now, yeah. what about ret- retention? Because you you have far more experience at running a large membership than mm-hmm. I do, and and one of the biggest problems I see from the outside is um, you know you want to get people in and then stay in as long as right. possible. How is right. your retention and what are you doing to keep people around as long as possible? Sure. Well, um, I'm still learning in that area because I think that I don't have the greatest tracking tools for it. I'm using ThriveCard as the sales cart and the information that it gives me. Um, I'm not sure that it's the fullest amount of information that I would need. And then also I, I have people buying through Stripe or PayPal. So I can look at the Stripe analytics and see that. So we, we, we lose about a quarter within two months. Uh, the people that are choosing the monthly option, obviously n- not the yearly, mostly we're just able to, able to track the data from the, the monthly. Um, but in my Thrive card, it tells me I'm at 5% churn, which means, but that's it. That bec- when you're at this size, that's a big number. So I have to, if I'm going to lose a hundred people a month, I have to bring more than a hundred in to stay steady. Right. Right. So I am actually, I just recently hired a consultant and, and engagement is our number one issue right now to look at what are, what are we doing and what are we not doing and um, um, trying to think about ways of using email engagement, maybe a, a video message engagement, more gamification. I tried to do that when I first got started and I just didn't pull it off. And I think that's a really important piece. Maybe a little bit more um, a mindset thing, uh, coaching as they go through the course, or maybe just a, you know, a, a written or verbal awards. Yeah, you did it. I'm so excited. You're a third of the way there and that type of thing. Um, but the teachers, when people engage in the teacher's lounge, they get quick feedback. We respond within 24 hours. So those folks are pretty engaged. It's just the folks that maybe 
are too busy to be on the teacher's lounge or um, got stuck, you know, on their fourth video. I need to figure out systems to make that better so that we get more people to go through the course, not just as a business owner to be ensuring that we grow, but that I ensure that these people who showed interest are really learning the system because I know that it'll serve other children, but not if they just do three lessons. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, this is, this is on the forefront of my mind. Um, one, because I have this outlet and I want to always try to share the most, um, the, the best advice I possibly can. And I don't have a ton of experience with memberships, but I, um, you know, the second thing is that I do want to get into more and more memberships. You know, Next Level Courses is essentially a membership. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there could be room for that in one way, shape or form with my piano business as well. And so I've been I've been consuming a lot of information and, you know, I, I don't know, you, you're probably familiar that I use the app called Bonjoro to yes. kind of thank my customers. Yes. And I know when I had the creator of Bonjoro on the podcast a while back, he said one, one way that their customers are using it and even they use it themselves is with like to reduce churn, you know, maybe yes. after three months he's, and you specifically said a video message, you know, I think that's the type of thing you're talking about. Right. The other interesting thing I heard recently from Stu McLaren, who's who's a big membership guy, is he was like, you know, think about Netflix, right? Think about okay, w- one of the. L- let me just give you an example of a, a very popular Netflix show, Stranger Things. Have you ever seen Stranger Things? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> we were fixed to our screen. <laughs> yeah. So one way they one way they get you to watch the next episode is they'll kind of they'll close a loop within an episode, and then at the very end they'll open a new loop. Right. It's like, oh gosh, I got... And that's how binge watching ends up happening. But right. what, what he said, what he suggested, uh, Stu McLaren, is that you can take that you know, psychological principle and always be teasing something for the next month and the next month, right? right? Always be opening a new loop that they have to stick around another month for. So stick true. Around. So I haven't really implemented that yet. Um, yeah. But I think it's... Well, you know, you take next level courses, for example, I do a, I do a new masterclass each month. So... Um, you know, I guess that's one way that I, that I'm opening a loop. It's like, Hey, if you stick around for another month, you're going to get, you know, my relaunch system or my testimonial system and so on. And so I'm sure you're doing things like that, but keep that in mind that you could open a little more loops each month. Well, actually you're under, you're under, uh, uncovering my fundamental problem. I'm not very good with planning, (laughs) which is why I've been asking you some of those questions, like how you're executing your days, because if you want to open a loop, you have to know what's going to be on the docket in 30 days. So (laughs) I'm excited to do that. I'm moving that way. I'm going to be hiring someone to help me with like orchestrating content. Um, But I, we do have a new, I did kind of stumble into this. We have a new um, online game that teachers can use with, with their students that we just developed because of COVID because they're, everyone's using things virtually. So I've been as that's getting developed, I've been showing people this is what you're going to have if you when you're a member. So hopefully that will that's part of that open loop example. But I'm just not I haven't historically done that systematically. I really like that idea though. Excellent, awesome. Okay, so sticking with this, uh, like how to run a successful membership theme. Like, are you planning on limiting the numbers in any way? Because that's that's one question I have in my mind is like, can yeah. these things get too big? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, certainly I'm not there yet. We just hired, so I have the community manager I talked to you about. I have the content manager who's the lead of that discussion board that I was telling you about. So she's ultimately responsible. Buck stops there with her for the making sure everybody gets help. And we've just added in um, three new people who went through our course and who are already very active and 
gave smart feedback. We're adding them in as other coaches. So that's just logistically like serving the, the community is one of our first concerns. Um, because of, of giving your, getting your feedback, I'm going to be adding some more ads. And I know based on the Facebook ads that have been fairly successful that these probably in Google ads and YouTube, they will probably be successful. So we could really, we could almost double or at least have again the membership pretty quickly. So I'm more worried about service. I haven't gotten to the point where it's too crowded. So I think, you know, um, in membership, in the membership world, they talk about how, I don't remember the statistics, but I think it's only like 5% are actually are highly engaged. Mm-hmm. So you have to get to a pretty high number before those 5% are crowding every, everything out, right? So um, for the 2,500 that I have, we certainly don't have thousands of people in the teacher's lounge every day. And so it's not too busy. So I'm not too worried about the number getting too big. I'm more worried about making sure that we can manage customer service and member uh, service to a really strong level. Very cool. All right. Well, I told you we would. Let's get back to kind of the story. All right. Let's mm-hmm. kind of pick back up where we were and then what, what was going on with your life and kind of the steps that all led up to you deciding right. to create Reading Simplified. Yeah, I certainly did not want to do this when I was younger. <laughs> um, but I went into teaching because I'm idealistic. I think I'm going to make a difference. And when I found out that I couldn't make a difference, I was really ticked off. And then when I found something that did make a difference, I tried to tell people around me and I tried to make an impact, but it actually didn't have much of an impact initially. I was tutoring. I After I got all excited about this, what I had discovered um, and that a system was working with these kids that I, t- I worked with before and after school, then I decided to quit public school teaching at that time and opened a tutoring practice. So I could really zero in on it and I got really good at it. We were getting um, your typical student to grade level and 12 hours of tutoring instruction. A lot of programs will tell you it's going to take two or three years. Now, of course, not everyone gets to grade level that quickly, but that was on average. And I was really excited. But then the teachers the the child would be reading really well and the teachers would be giving feedback to the child in the classroom. Well, no, don't do that. Um, Don't look at all the the letters. Don't try to sound it out. Look at the picture, make a guess, reread it. A lot of feedback that was directly contradicting what I was teaching the child. So that was like a little quite frustrating. And it made me think, oh, we need to have more research on this. This just must be under research. So I went to the University of North Carolina where I was living at the time to get my doctorate and um, get also a literacy specialist license. Along the way, I realized, oh, we actually do know that that's not smart to tell children who are five, six, seven to to look at the picture. Um, But it's just not in the hands of the teachers because we've been communicating about it incorrectly. So that was an eye opener. It's really, there's certainly things we can continue to learn about the science of reading, but it's mostly a dissemination issue. And then I had the really unusual opportunity to, be the developer of a reading intervention for kindergarten and first grade um, struggling students. It was actually for their classroom teachers. It was part of a federally funded grant. A professor that I was working for got all this money, but she didn't want to create the program. I, I got it. I said, I do want to create the program. And I led that development. And we saw children in multiple states all over the U.S. And we watched the teachers implement the program on webcam. And so that was starting around 2005 after I finished my doctorate, or actually when I was still getting the end of my doctorate. And then I did that for about seven years. So that was really exciting to be a part of that research project. 
see results for these struggling readers in these uh, low-income communities um, and also get to watch the teachers so I could see what was working and what was a bit of a struggle. And the uh, researchers published many times on this program. It's called the Targeted Reading Intervention, and it keeps getting good effects, making a difference for the struggling readers in those classrooms. But I wasn't really seeing it do anything (laughs) outside of those communities. Like articles get written and sometimes nothing happens. In fact, that's more likely than not in the field of reading, because like I said, there's this divide in what people believe in the university setting. So um, then I, my husband got a, a job transfer and we moved and it seemed like a great time to think about something new. And that's when I got this idea. Well, maybe I'll try more of a grassroots, grassroots dissemination a project. And online business was getting hot at that time. There was I read uh, Michael Hyatt's platform, and that was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But I had to, for the first time, even get a Facebook profile because I didn't want to be on Facebook. I'm not very good. At, I wasn't historically very good at public speaking. All of this was like not my comfort zone. I hated tech, so it's you know that was 2000. 13, I think when I got that idea and it took a while before it was, uh, anything that was, um, useful. There were others turns along the way, but I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes, but basically that's, you know, I keep having the opportunity to see the program, these ideas make a difference, but then when there's weaknesses or issues, particularly in that university setting, when I saw certain things trip teachers up, then I adjusted it. And that's what led me to create a variation on what I had created before and we call it reading simplify. So when was it that you actually, let's say made your first sale and what was that like? Yeah, 20 November, 2016. Okay. Well, maybe, no, I think maybe in the fall, but I, Oh, I, that was just like one or two people, but I had a, an event in November five day challenge and I got just under 30 members. And that was a big breakthrough for, for us. 2015, I was working on how to do a blog 2013 to 2015, I was creating a reading program. So how all did, the materials, all the videos for kids. What 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 was going in, on inside? Like when you when you made those first 25, 30 sales, you actually had people paying you money for your own platform, essentially yeah. for the yeah. first for the first time with this online program. I was so thrilled and I was so relieved because it had been a long road. Um, all the tech was a big burden for me trying to persuade people to buy from me. That was, <laughs> that was not my comfort zone. All these things, um, it was huge. But these folks had been on my list for probably most of them and probably for over a year. And I'd been teaching them and getting feedback from them. When, you're, when your list is smaller, you get more feedback if you ask for it. And um, so I... I didn't feel as scary selling to them because I, I knew that they needed it. They'd made it clear, but uh, it was so exciting. And then, then it was like, okay, now I've got to deliver. I didn't even have the whole course fleshed out. <laughs> so I was trying to finish that course in November, December, January, stay ahead of the person that was at the furthest, you know, in the progression. And I held a few people up, but then the next year was kind of like making sure I'm serving my members, developing my systems and routines that, you know, as you're kind of asking, like it's, a membership is not an, an easy thing. You have to figure out what are you going to do? What are you going to provide? And then I also at the same time was trying to figure out how do I develop a sales system? And that, that, that was another 
challenging or scary thing because we didn't we had been doing this for a while and I wasn't making money for quite a long time. So we had to figure out my husband and I said we gotta make money by the by the fall of twenty seventeen or I'm gonna go get a job somewhere. J O B. <laughs> well it's it's interesting hearing this part of the story because it's so different than my experience and like in a good Yeah, you were no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I mean, just oh. like with a sense of passion and, and purpose behind what you're doing, because my main, my, oh, motive, right. my mo- main motivation was like passive income. Like I was all about quitting my job. And I know like money is a motivator for almost everybody, but for you, like you had been working in this field for over a decade, like getting PhDs and certifications and like your passion was helping kids to read and read sooner and helping teachers to help the kids to be able to do that. Your passion had been that long before you launched your, right. your membership. For me, like right. piano just happened to be like the thing that worked for me, right? And That's then awesome. my passion for that grew with the company. And it wasn't, it mm-hmm. didn't exist for 12 years before I launched it like you. Wow. So I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that you've been so successful with this is because there was such a story leading up to the creation of the business yeah. and the launch of the course and so on. You're obviously right. very successful now. Well, you have, there's so much persistence if you don't have all the, you know, if I, I was on my own. I mean, a lot of courses and, and um, podcasts <laughs> over the years, but it feels lonely. And um, so you have to have persistence. But I think that's a great point that you're making because passion doesn't necessarily have to precede the project. Uh, the project in your case developed the passion, and so that's really helpful because some people some people might hear my story and say, "Well, I haven't been doing something for mm-hmm. twenty years that I can't stop thinking about," which is really my case. But it doesn't have to be that if you have an area of expertise that other people um, can benefit from, then you can probably get pretty passionate about it when they tell you, "This is helping me," <laughs> and give me and uh, here's my money. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, and there's there's so many ways to succeed like this. So I'm I'm glad we discovered um, that significant difference about us. But yet we both are very passionate about the topic today. Uh, I right. promise I'm not going to just continue to compare like piano to reading. But this <laughs> the last one. But I've, as we're talking, I'm thinking, okay, well, what do you what do you say to the people? It's like, well, Marnie, like I get what you're trying to do, but but at the end of the day, like people are going to figure out how to read eventually. Like there's not mm. that many adults that don't know how to read today. And if we mm-hmm. could just do that last piano comparison, it, it, you can't say the same thing about piano. If people, if we right. just neglect piano learning, it's not like people are just going to figure out how to learn piano. But right. is that the case with reading? What do you say to those people? I don't have the numbers at the tip of my um, tongue, but there, I think there's probably about 80 million adult Americans who are weak in reading, maybe really? not illiterate. See, what we're doing in this country is getting kids to be, uh, getting kids and then adults to be good at reading at like a third grader or a fifth grader. But do we want people at that reading level to be taking medications or to fit reading their health policies or deciding who to vote for for president? So we have. Um, yes, kid, most people in our school system do learn how to read a certain number of words to, to, to appear to be adequate, but we have a long way to go before we really um, reach even 95% literacy rates. And it's not, it's not because of the individual. It's because, like I said, we see research that shows that pretty much everyone, almost everyone could read up to their intellectual potential, but we're not providing that. And, um, so it's not, it's, 
it's not, you're right. It's not all or nothing like piano maybe for some people, but um, it's a, it's a tremendous burden for so many children going through school. There's a lot of associated um, social and emotional challenges that kids get because they are frustrated readers and then they don't become very good spellers and then they don't become very good writers. So there's all these um, negative snowballs that come out of not starting strong. You're not going to want to read about science if you can't, if it's a struggle just to recognize the words. Mm. So we're losing so much potential because most of our students aren't choosing to read because it's such hard work. Got it. So you have 2,500 active members, but you've obviously had probably significantly more than that. Actually yeah, about 4,200. 40, okay, great. So um, can, can you feel the impact of your work? Like that's one of the big things that I enjoy oh, yeah. about my work now is just the impact and actually being able to, to hear from people on the other side, what my work has been able to do for them in their lives. Like, can you share one or two stories from the people that you've been able to, to impact with this work? Right, right. It's super exciting. And I get that in sometimes little snippets here and then in emails, or certainly, like I said, that teacher's lounge and discussion board, we regularly get just, oh, this was a, such a breakthrough for my child or this student or my class. Um, I can think of one teacher who's a really strong um, example. She was teaching um, first grade English language learners in the, in the Phoenix area. And she had a program to teach reading that should be, most people would consider it to be a strong program. And she was a, an excellent teacher. She is an excellent teacher, but she found some of the tweaks that we present in Reading Simplified and it made it all the difference for her. She said in 18 years of teaching, the first year she tried our approach was the first year she had 100% of her kids reading at the end of first grade. Whereas every year there's a couple kids, you're like, oh, well, I did my best, but they're going to go on to second grade. And uh, the second year she was trying Reading Simplified, she um, had some kids reading chapter books in like October, which is a pretty big uh, big accomplishment for a a classroom of English language learners um, in the second month of school here in the U.S. So she is um, a real bright light, but we get them all the time through like the Facebook um, group. And we have a very active Facebook page where that's a main marketing engine. So we get feedback there. And um, sometimes I'm also doing the video testimonials when they, when they write to me and they say something great, I say, Hey, would you be willing to get on the, camera and the zoom with me and tell me more. So I think about one mom, I think she's in Canada who had a son that was autistic, is autistic. And she's also a classroom teacher. And she got into the Reading Simplified Academy because she was um, thinking about both for her own child and for, for her class. And she said, you know, she also went to school and had all these courses and didn't know how to teach reading. And she realized it. And then she worked with her son who was five years old over the summer before he was going to school or actually before he was going to maybe, I can't remember before he's starting kindergarten or first grade, but she said she taught him to read and he was reading um, first grade upper first grade books just with the summer with that. And she said, you know, as a mother of a child with autism, I have a lot of concerns for what it's going to be like for him in school, but reading is not one of them. So (laughs) that just kind of chokes me up still, but it's my main, you know, mission is to get the classroom teacher to make a big impact. And um, whether they're the beginning reader or a struggling reader, you know, a middle school student, a fifth, you know, high school student, they are still struggling with this. We've got to go back to the core and resolve that. But um, 
yeah, that's all. That's now, of course, what keeps me going because we know something that we're doing is working because we're getting back the feedback from. Oh, and I heard from a woman at the Cook Islands. I had to look it up. It's like a really nice vacation place. She said that her her middle school students they grew um, five years. I think it was over seventeen weeks. So it was basically. It was four, almost five years. It was over four years of reading growth in 17 weeks. I told her that's like a year growth every month. When you're, when you're a middle school reader and you're behind it, you have a long way to go. So (laughs) that's why those numbers can happen. But anyway, yeah, it's a great, it's a great part of my job. And also I'm always feeding that back to the team. Uh, And we try to, you know, encourage one another that way. Like all this work you're doing, it's making a difference. Are you familiar with a story brand by Donald Miller? Yes. Yes, but I haven't like executed on it. But you're familiar with the core, like the, the the number one takeaway that I've gotten out of that book is just like within your story, like you're the you're the you want to position yourself as the guide in the story, and you right. want your customer to be the hero. Right. And so I think like these these success stories and, and hearing about the impact you're having on other people's lives are incredible. Like like you just said, like that's probably my number one motivator today. I mean, mm-hmm. just two days ago. I got an email from somebody and this might've been one of the best emails I've ever received. He was like, Hey Jacques, uh, not sure if you, you know, knew, knew who I am or remember me. Um, but I signed up for your course two years ago mm. and, um, never touched a piano. Didn't know what middle C was uh, before then. And, um, next week I'm releasing my first album. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he'd sent me a link to it and it was just pure piano. It was just a piano album and uh-huh. it was phenomenal. It was so, oh so, so gosh. good. And so, you know, as a, as a human, like naturally I want to take like all the credit for that, you know, like, <laughs> uh, yes, all right, look what I did. But that's, I mean, that's not the case at all. Like, okay, I put a course out there and he went through the course and I'm sure there was a lot of other influences in the past two years other than my course. He probably just got mm-hmm. started with it. Um, but I, I like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out the best way to take stories like that and then also use those for marketing too, but without right. saying, hey, look, here's how great Jock is. Here's how great right. Piano in 21 Days is because right. you know, that it can, like 99.99999% of the, of the credit goes to him. Right. Right. So have you, fa- have you found that sometimes it can be hard to figure out like how to use stories like that and not, not put yourself as the hero? Um, I think... I think it's a little easier with classroom teaching um, or maybe, maybe it's kind of similar. I don't know. I, I often just say, look at what Jennifer did. I just wrote a, I just created an ad yesterday. Look at what Jennifer did. She did this and, and she's amazed. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want what she has? And this is the system that she had to get her to that. So, um, you know, back to kind of my idea about when I was getting my, the, the first days of my doctorate, I thought that we were going to do more research, but really it's about dissemination. That's what the gift that you gave this young guy or, or whatever his age is, you gave him some information at the right time at the right place that it's, and how do you get that idea out there? That's what's so awesome about online courses. We're just reaching people, like I said, in the Cook Islands and Phoenix and Canada and yeah. Just, and a lot of, a lot of times you don't realize the impact that you're having. Like he just, I, I made a new YouTube video. I sent it right. out to my entire list and he replied to that. If I never made mm-hmm. that YouTube video, maybe I would have he never might. heard that story. Yeah. And probably we don't know a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause with online courses, like, you know, you, you just don't know everybody. If you're an in-person teacher, 
then you actually have a relationship with each one of your students. But as you know, online courses, memberships, they scale so much better and we don't necessarily need to know about all the impact we're having. But I bet, uh, I bet that you are making far more of an impact than, than even you realize because of this right. medium. Yeah, it's, it's quite weird. Sometimes people will get on and a video with me and then they'll be like, Oh, I'm nervous. Cause like, I'm famous. I'm not famous, honey. I just, <laughs> you think I am, but I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not anybody to be intimidated by. Yeah. But, Isn't that but you so don't funny? know what, how, how you just don't know your impact. Right. Yeah, for sure. So you, I mean, you've mentioned like Facebook ads a couple of times. We've you've talked a little bit about marketing. So, you know, as, as you know, I like to simplify things and um, we've got kind of traffic and then traffic flows into a funnel, which then flows into, in your case, your, your membership. So you've got your membership dialed in and I would imagine that you've got a pretty good system for both traffic and your funnel. So I kind of want to focus in on those two areas next and we'll start with the traffic. Like where are you mostly getting your traffic from? Mm-hmm. Um, heavily f- Facebook. Um, organic ads or both? Both. I'm trying to diversify that, but we put a lot of energy into our um, our page, and we um, have followed not not perfectly, but to some extent, Rachel Miller's ideas from Moolah Marketing. And I don't know if you run into her, but she's her idea is to um, find other posts or videos on Facebook that are already doing them doing well, and put them on your page along with your own stuff. So it gives a little juice to your mm. um, posts. It's just the way that the Facebook algorithm works is. If you just keep posting your stuff over and over again, it's going to bury them as you, as we all have probably experienced. So we put a lot of energy into that and post like three, right now we're just doing three posts a day. And one of them is a reading simplified content and other stuff has been proven already in the Facebook um, realm. And so that's, that's an organic effort that we do. And then we also put a lot of money into Facebook ads. So I've done different things, but do you know, direct to um, a blog post where there's a, a content upgrade, then get a lead magnet. Um, we also have done a lot for um, webinars, both live and evergreen, which is why I started to follow you is because I, you had a very similar system and you were seeing ways in which you wanted to improve it. And I'm going to follow suit in that. But so Facebook is 50%. Um, Google now is increasing, thankfully, but I haven't done a good job of that. And we're working in uh, working more on SEO and we have other platforms, but they're not really um, converting for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the traffic question, I think. Yeah. So on the- and now my email list is strong enough that my, when I email them, I send them back to my blog. Oh, cool. That's, how, how, that's, big is, how big is your email list? 70, over 70,000. Amazing. What, what platform are you using for your email list? Active campaign. Ooh, big fan. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. Um, okay, so as far as paid ads go, you know, with 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 my course, my most popular package is four hundred ninety seven dollars, and I can see in my dashboard whether it's Facebook ads or or Google ads or whatever YouTube ads, like which package people are buying, and I can directly see whether what what my ROI is. How do you mm-hmm. do that with the membership? Like, how much are you willing to spend to gain a new member? Well, we haven't had to go up to how much we, we, we would be willing to spend because Facebook's pretty um, pretty profitable for us. So we typically, I turn an ad off when the return on investment is about, um, is getting to be two to one because I normally want three or five to one. So uh, we are estimating that mem- the average member stays 10 months. Okay. And so 
it kind of, it's about $250. It's just my ballpark that we've been using for a while. And um, we're always spending far less than we're bringing in. So I, I'm generally not that worried about it. Okay. So you've, you've kind of done some rough numbers and established that an average customer is about worth $250. So you're willing to spend up to, it sounds like $125 to require yeah, I never, I never get, to, I've never probably gone over like eighty dollars per, unless a, an ad is like I'm testing an ad for yeah. a day or two or whatever. But I would never, I wouldn't do that. I could though, yeah, because that's still that's still a problem. But I'm not so clear on that return on investment because it's not just a digital product. We have the back end of all the support staff, mm-hmm. so and I don't have that already dialed into like how much does it actually cost per member. And of course, it varies so widely. Some people are gonna. Uh, be on the teacher's lounge every day and some people don't go at all. So I'm, that's why I keep it kind of, uh, I want a little bit, a, lo- a pretty significant margin there. Yeah, of course. Probably I mean, $80 is probably the biggest, but I don't like it when I'm there. Per. Makes sense. There's plenty of other expenses in an online course business. I mean, you've obviously got a team. There's a lot of software. I mean, you're not spending as much on the online course software because you've got the, the, right. um, the WordPress plugins. Um, okay. So yeah, very interesting. So let's, let's dive into the funnel part. Do you have just kind of one funnel or do you have a lot of different funnels going on? I have a lot of different funnels and sometimes I forget about a funnel. So (laughs) my main one is, um, a a webinar funnel. It's called three activities a day to keep reading difficulties away. And that was the one that we started live in 2017, July of 2017. I did it live for two or three, probably almost three months, once a week until we felt like it was really strong. And then we put it on Evergreen and we were using EverWebinar and had some of the issues that I've heard you mention as well. So now I'm going to adopt your approach. But So that is a webinar that we send people to directly from Facebook ads. We have, um, we have it on a sidebar on all of our blog posts. And it's also the tag in the bottom of my emails. So it is a big um, way we like to get people in, not only because it sells and it's effective, but it's a great training ground for what they're going to get in the course. I'm actually giving away three best activities and showing them how to do it and why, why they're so powerful. And it's, a, it's really jam-packed content. And so a lot of people take that and they, they think that's all that they need, which is great. But if they go into the course, then they really have a good uh, perspective on what they're going to learn as they get into that main course that I was mentioning. So we also have... You know, we have a lot. One thing I think that's also worked was we have a lot of what has been called like content upgrades. So I have a lot of different lead magnets for a lot of different blog posts. And so most pages that people come to, there's some freebie that's that's related to that particular topic. And I get a lot of emails that way. So even if my traffic outside of Facebook isn't strong, if they hit my page and they read for a few seconds, there we get a pretty high conversion rate. It's varies based on, of course, the the opt in, but it's between eight to eighteen percent of people that land. If they read a little bit, they they get an email. They get they give me their email. So that's something I'm still nurturing and watching. And then we have live events. Um, the live the one that I love the most is called Five a Day uh, Level Up Your Reader in five days. And it is a Facebook live five day in a row challenge where I tell them to try this one activity I mentioned before called switch it. So I, I say, try it and then watch me use it with a student and cross the five days, see how much the student has improved. And also teachers are 
in the Facebook group, that's just a pop-up group for that event. They're talking about how much of a difference it made. And what we, what I'm not so good at is converting that immediately to sales. I think it's a slower conversion rate, even though people are just so happy with it. It's a lower conversion rate than the webinar, at least in the short term. A lot of times people will tell us, well, I did this challenge and it's finally time for me to join. So it's definitely, uh, it works really well to build up trust and um, goodwill. And I love doing it because so many people are impacted, but the webinar is just hard to beat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love the five day challenge um, idea. I actually took a note on a different page. Um, for like actions to be thought about later. Like I think that could, could work really well for my piano business because I have oh yeah my five-day like workbook that I always promote as my yes. opt-in. But if I could like every month do a five-day challenge and actually teach like on a Facebook Live, you know, the first five lessons, like it's the first right. five lessons are probably the best five because there's so many quick wins I give people. Exactly. So many people are going to want to keep going for the rest of the course. So right. thanks for that idea. Um, but yeah, webinars. Um, are you telling me that you're still on every webinar? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I have the landing page set up and I'm having a Vimeo problem. And I did another live event and I took two kids to college. So you got to cut me some slack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know we talked about a month ago about you possibly yeah. cutting that over to the more of what I'm we, doing. We um, are. I'm gonna, I've got it all ready. It, it could probably go very soon if I just can catch up to good. all the travel. I'm looking forward to hearing the results because I know most of your yeah. sales are coming from the, the, the webinar. So I know right. it can be scary to, to change something like that. Um, right. I, just, I just got so fed up with hearing from people like Jock. I just, uh, I can't believe you would have the fake chats up there. Like I was thinking about buying, but uh, I don't know about all that. <laughs> and, um, and so I eventually cut it over and was pleasantly surprised that conversions actually went up. Um, but that's what about, what I'm, I'm hoping for, yeah. What about like, are you, if that's the main way that you're selling, um, regardless of what, what software and system you're using, like, is there any sort of scarcity? Like, how are you actually getting people to pull the trigger on a $29 yeah. per month right. membership? Um, we do, we do have fast acting bonuses, okay. um, that are triggered each, each, uh, individual person's funnel is a thrive cart sales cart page. That's unique to them or not unique to them, but their browser will, will receive it. And, and then it's a four day. I think it's a four day time uh, deadline. So it's kind of built in that it's unique to that person, at least their browser. <laughs> um, and so if they, if they, so it's actually closing, but also in four days and it will also um, give them additional digital goodies if they join that night of the, when they first signed up for the event. Very cool. Well, you have 2,500 active members plus you, you have a funnels, you have traffic, you have a team. Are you struggling with anything? I mean, is there anything you're struggling with? Yes. Um, <laughs> there's always gotta be something. I, I said earlier, not really good with planning systems. Aren't something that just come naturally to me. So that's why I was asking you the other day about what, what exactly are you doing every day? I'm like, I'm, I have that leader that I told you about that's managing the membership, but I don't have anyone looking at all of my content. I need someone, um, all my people are great, but they're very, very part-time. And um, three of them are mothers who really don't have anywhere, any more hours to give. So I'm looking to hire someone who's more of a leader that'll look over my whole content, um, that whole umbrella. And maybe even grow as uh, to become like an operator for me, 
so that I don't have to work so much. Or if things break, it it's always with me. Or you know, I'm the only one that knows that the the header on the website should be taken down because it's the end of the sale or whatever. So someone to look over things will be such a blessing. I think have you, we're close. Are, are, have you are you familiar with the 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 framework of running a company called Traction? It's actually the name of a book. Have you read yes. that? Yes, and um, I have been toying around with that idea. And then uh, Alex Sharfin um, also teaches that there's too much leverage with the integrator and he's recommending an operator. Mm. So I'm kind of playing around with these ideas, but definitely, yes, someone um, that is more operationally minded than I am. What is the difference between an integrator and an operator in your mind? Yeah. To me, me they're the same thing. Right. Well, (laughs) I think, um, I think if I'm, understanding um, Alex Sharfin's ideas is that the the integrator and the traction system doesn't do a clear enough job of making sure that the visionary is embedded in all of the relationships that that integrator has and isn't set casting the vision and there aren't systems for what that integrator should do and routines that the visionary is involved in. Like the visionary still meets with the team at certain levels and um, the, maybe the operator executes on the meeting, but the visionary is there to cast the vision and to, to be a bigger part of the thing. I think it's a, it's a systems question and so that one person isn't um, the master puppeteer behind everything mm-hmm. and no one else really knows it, but also that person's also building other people's systems. But obviously I'm just listening and reading and learning. So I, I'm trying to think that's part of my issue. Like, what do I call this job description? These, so right now I'm working on content manager because I think that if they can do that and they prove themselves to be good problem solver, then I might move them to operator. Very cool. Yeah. And just for the, for the sake of the listeners that maybe have no idea what we're talking about, (laughs) essentially, um, traction, uh, is, is a book. It's a book called traction, uh, but it's a system of, of how to organize your company. And when you reach a certain level, just to give you one example, they say that there, there really should kind of be two people on the top. You have a visionary and an integrator. One person is more of like the CEO, higher level decisions, um, brainstorming ideas. But then you have another person that's very high up that can go implement the ideas. And that is the uh, integrator. It's kind of like an operations manager or, or a COO, a chief operating uh, operations officer. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. And um, this is, I mean, this is definitely on my mind right now too, Marnie. And I don't want to um, reveal too much like on the podcast, but I actually want to talk to you for a minute after we stop recording and I'll give (laughs) you um, a little insight onto what uh, specifically I'm doing. And hey, remember we were talking about opening loops earlier? That's ah, that's one thing I'm doing because I will share in, in the on the podcast. Future. It's coming in the future of what I'm doing, but I think that um, that's actually a need for me right now as well um, for a lot of reasons. So I'll tell you what I've learned the past couple of weeks about that uh, shortly. But um, very cool. So you are not perfect, and you are struggling with some things as well. <laughs> uh, good to know. What about the um, what about the pandemic? How did that affect your business? It was crazy. Um, I sent a survey, I think the weekend after schools closed, maybe the very weekend the schools closed, like around, it was like the 13th or something like that. It pretty much across the country, many, many schools closed on a Friday. 
And I got tremendous uh, response back from my list. It was obviously very, it was a, a much better response than I would normally get. And I asked them, you know, what, what do you need? And so then I started to create a lot of resources. I created a special pop-up group and was doing a lot of Facebook lives just to teach them how to take some of our core activities and do it online, how to use Zoom, how to use Loom, which teachers don't know about. This is a screen ca- like a screencastify type of program. So I did all of those things because I got that information back from my audience and they, they were very grateful and they ate it up. And a lot of people um, told me that that helped them cope with that season. And at the same time, we saw our sales shoot up and they haven't gone back down. So I, I have been growing every month for a long time, but I feel like it was a little bit bigger jump since March. Um, teachers, many teachers are, were actually not even able to teach. Their school district would say, no, you know, we, since not everybody has um, access to something like Zoom, we're just not going to teach. And so they had, they were idle. Not many, but you know, there's a good chunk of them that were like that. Or if they were um, trying to reach the kids virtually, after a while, they realized not, not much is happening. The, many kids aren't showing up, and, and so they're looking for more professional development. Of course, people are more online. I know, I know you you saw that too with your business. So I don't. I am kind of thinking, when is this gonna? Is this gonna? Is this gonna dip back down? But we haven't seen that yet. So yeah, it's been. Um, We've, we've been each month since March, we've been bigger than we've ever been before in sales. That's, that's great. I mean, um, obviously there's been a, a lot of, um, there's, there's no, there's no graceful way to put it. There's, it's been a very negative thing for the entire planet. Right. right. But, but um, there are, you know, small pockets of, of positivity here and there. And then some people are getting to experience things or learn things that, that um, they, ne- they never would have had time for otherwise. Right. Um, so therefore, a lot of online courses are doing well. But others, uh, you know, if, if you teach people to do certain things in person, that, that type of online course probably is How to run a restaurant is probably not going to sell really well right now. Probably not. How to, how to put on a 10,000-person live event. You know, things like that <laughs> yeah. are probably not doing so well. Mm, it's, um, really t- it's strange times. So I don't want to get out of here before I ask for a little bit of advice for the audience. Like you, you had all these credentials, you have this passion about a topic and you've made it a reality and turning it into an online membership that is very successful and having great impact on other people. Given your experience, what advice do you have for somebody out there that's got this passion that you had, they've got Mm -hmm. this information that wants to turn it into a successful online course, online membership, um, and impact others the way that you have? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, find someone who you trust and follow what they say and don't get overwhelmed by all the things. No one can do all the things. And yeah, you need to learn stuff about online business. You probably need to learn stuff about marketing and sales, but find uh, the core things. Like I know, Jacques, what's your system you would teach after traffic? Is that, is that conversions or? Yeah, traffic, the- traffic funnel course, and then okay. student success. Yeah. So focus on each of those in the right time and don't worry about um, what you're going to do in 30 days. Just be relentless on making sure that you execute regularly with, with things that are going to move the needle. So early on with traffic, it's like get something out there to the world, whether it's a YouTube video or podcast or a blog post and do it consistently and get feedback from the community and um, keep refining your skills. So it's consistency and persistence and listening to your community will help 
it will teach you to provide what they want. Excellent. Dr. Marnie Ginsberg, readingsimplified.com. Truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by today. It's my treat. Thank you, John. Hey, David, welcome back. Let's, uh, let's get into this a little bit, man. What, we, I really enjoyed talking to Marnie. What, what, what did you think of it? Oh, man, she's super inspirational. I loved her journey from teacher to researching a better way to now influencing these teachers all over the world. And man, just talk about uh, a, a, an example of the start with why concept. I mean, yeah. what could be more important than teaching kids to read? And uh, yeah, it was a super powerful story to hear. Yeah, it's I love hearing these different perspectives because like I was telling her, I was like, oh, wow, like you, you had really set the stage for your business. Unlike me, like I just I was trying, I was throwing everything at the wall, trying to figure out what, what would work really wanted to just travel more, not have a boss and, and kind of piano is just what ended up working for me. Whereas for her, she, I mean, she spent over a decade in this, in this particular niche, uh, really refining it, nailing down the problem even more, figuring out how she could help people even more before she ended up with a membership. I think if her motivation was like mine, where she's just trying to find any sort of business that would work, make some passive income, she wouldn't be near as successful as she is today. And I think I was, if I were more like her, you know, on that same note, I would have found success a lot sooner as well. So very interesting to hear that perspective uh, from her. So let, well, let me, let me kick okay. it to you. Yeah. What, what, what's on your list, man? What, what's well, the, I mean, the, the biggest thing is just this uh, discussion. You mentioned it before the interview, but um, what are your thoughts on membership versus course um, or a combination of the two, like what's the ideal and, and what makes the difference for when one situation is better and another one, what would you say? I think it's a very interesting conversation. And I think it's a lot, uh, a conversation, a topic that, that is on a lot, a lot of people's minds that are in this space, whether you have an online course, whether you have a membership, should I go the other way? Or if you have both also, my brand is the online course guy. What if memberships start becoming the thing and online courses are like old news? It's like, oh, goodness, <laughs> should I change my brand name? And I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but historically, I've been all about the online course. And the reason is, is because I think you can charge a higher price one time than what you could charge on a monthly basis before somebody actually leaves the membership, right? Mm-hmm. But also, that's that's looking at things through the lens of what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And as you know, lately, I've been trying to look through the lens more of what's best for the student. And I definitely think there's some advantages to a membership on the student. And like you alluded to earlier, I think the, the, the best situation might actually be both. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in a little bit. But to answer your, your actual question here, in general, courses are better for things that are there. People can log in. All the content kind of exists. There's not going to be a lot of additional content there. You Just like you buy a, a physical product at the store. You pay money, you get the thing. The thing doesn't really change in most cases. right? Mm-hmm. Membership is more of an ongoing content's constantly being added, maybe a lot more interaction, community, and whatnot. That's generally the, um, the difference that I've seen uh, with a membership versus a course. Is that what you've seen as well? Yeah, definitely. There's some expectation that there's going to be additional content in a membership. Right. So for example, Next Level Courses is a membership. It's a monthly membership. 
I'm doing uh, weekly Q&As. Every month, I do a masterclass. Like this month is Relaunch Magic. Constantly adding new content. It's not a course. And it's certainly not a, a step-by-step A to Z course like my piano course is because everybody's in a different situation in Next Level Course. It's for people that already have a course or membership and want to take it to the next level. So they can kind of pick and choose and figure out what's going to work best for them. So that's why I went membership there. Piano in 21 Days is is a course. It exists. It's there. People sign up, one-time payment, and then they get the course. Mm-hmm. But through the years, I've also added things like a weekly Q&A, live Q&A um, of a community, which is on Facebook right now, and and certain levels of interaction with me. And I think there could be room for, you know, sell the course on the front end and then have a have a membership on the back end with with my piano side of things and that's I'm kicking the tires with that right now I think it that it could certainly be a possible uh thing in the future. Yeah, so I guess if I was looking at yours like I mean one of the ways that you could do it is you could uh say with your premium package you get a year of membership in the community um after that it goes to $10 a month, $20 mm-hmm. a month, whatever it would be. Um or you could even add like another higher package and say, if you want to bump up to this $700 package, it actually includes lifetime membership in whatever in the community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, it's, you have different ways that you could structure it, but um, like, what is your gut feeling? Would your conversions go down if you said, you know, your first year of membership in the community is included? Um, I would think your convert conversions would stay steady at that point, right? I don't yeah, I don't think they would go down because I really try to sell people on the the benefit and the transformation as opposed to the features, right? Mm-hmm. So if my pitch to you is, hey, you sign up for this program, this course, you're going to transform from somebody that doesn't know how to play piano to somebody that does know how to play piano. Whether the membership is, you know, they immediately have to pay for it, they get three months free, year free, lifetime access, whatever, it doesn't change that initial initial pitch for the online course. Mm-hmm. Then, and, and by the way, I do like the idea of giving you know a certain amount of time free into a potential membership because then you won't truly know the benefits of the membership until you're right. actually in. So let's say that the membership has the community and the, the live Q&As um, and, and maybe a couple other components. Well, you get in there, you start going through the course, maybe you even finish the course, but you're getting so much value out of these extra pieces that you don't want to leave. And the the membership is, you know, let's say it's $20 a month or hey, let's let's say it's $21 a mm-hmm. month, right? Stay on brand. Then um, you know, that's a, that's a little that's, you know, twice the cost of Netflix. It's a it's a little bit of money for well, it depends on your perspective, but I think a lot of people could stick around and it would just be added revenue to what I'm already doing and allows me to just serve better and better and better. I mean, the more money I make from this, a, a lot of that I pour back into it and try to serve my customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, better and better. So, and you know, the thing that really put me over the edge to convince me that I think that a model of both could really work well is listening to Stu McLaren talk about it. And he's very much a membership guy, or at least that's what's in my head because one of his claim to fames years ago was he created a, a membership plugin for WordPress. Mm-hmm. And back when I was getting started back in 2013, that's one of the options that I considered for how to put kind of your course behind a, a, a password protected wall. I think his plugin is called Wishlist Member. I think that's the one that was his. But I've heard it, I heard him talk recently about how 
he actually, I think he's got a course about how to run memberships. That's kind of mm-hmm. a meta or whatever the word is, but he, he talks about how you can certainly have both and you can have a, a, a course that leads to a membership and you can even have a membership that leads to a course. And it's probably the best way to get the best of both worlds. Definitely. So right now I have on piano, I have a course, you know, with, with Marnie, she's got a membership. Maybe, maybe both of us can branch out and add the other aspect and, and be doing even better. Definitely. I mean, you can test it, but yeah, it can take a little while to see like whether your total value from the customer increases with some of these, if you make the changes, but I mean, doesn't hurt to test. Doesn't hurt. Well, usually it doesn't hurt. Yeah, to it can I, think hurt I would, would kind of need to kind of grandfather my existing, existing students. Like I, I could mm-hmm. see it hurting to just all of a sudden, like kick everybody out of the group and the lives without warning and be like, all right, you got to all of a sudden pay me a hundred dollars a month. So mm-hmm. I really found interesting the discussion that she said that she had both a discussion board and the Facebook group yeah. and how, you know, she felt like that was good, but it does kind of split the audience. And, uh, so yeah, it was just kind of interesting to picture that. And, uh, I know that after you did that interview with the, uh, creator of mighty networks, there's been a lot of discussion about, moving groups, moving these groups off of Facebook. And uh, yeah, so people are definitely interested in, in what's the best way to go with that. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, I, like you said, I'm, I'm thinking about that myself with, with moving off of Facebook potentially, but there's, there's, you know, Facebook groups serve certain groups of people better. Right. And, and you know, Gina from Mighty Networks is a, is a little biased, right? She's got, she's got her own research and, and she's, she, she created this company for a reason and there's a lot of value there. Um, but, but Facebook groups is, is kind of her competition in a lot of ways. And so we have to, you know, listen to a lot of perspectives and preferably from people that have, that have been there, done that. And in Marty's case, there's a reason that she's got things on Facebook and on her own discussion mm-hmm. board as well. Um, and that may be the way to go. I don't know. I'm trying to figure this stuff out too and just <laughs> share share my findings with the audience. Sure. Now, um, I actually have a suggested video. You're getting all these pieces in place to put out all this content. So um, okay. I still think there's room to, for you to put out a video that would say it would basically be 10 ways to teach your course members to have a better Facebook group experience. And so essentially, you know, just breaking down, like, what are the things that people hate about Facebook? And the reality is a lot of them you can actually take control of, but the average person in your course uh, just hasn't taken the, the two minutes to learn how to do it. So, you know, let's say that somebody hates seeing the ads. Um, you're going to teach them, here's this uh, certain browser plugin in, in Chrome that's going to take out all the ads. Um, you hate seeing your friends that are super political, like, you know, it's super simple, like unfollow them. But like some people have never figured out how to unfollow, you know, managing the addictive side, how to, how to manage your notifications. Um, you know, some people, some people still can't seem to find where the search bar is within a group. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, figure out how to search within a group. So, I mean, there'd be room to say, you know, if you don't think you like Facebook, there are actually ways that you can make it more pleasant so that you can have the best experience in our our course group. But see, here's the thing, David. You're biased too. You are you are an admitted Facebook addict. You mm-hmm. love Facebook, right? So instead of taking these ten steps, ten hacks, why not just move it off somewhere else that's not Facebook? 
Um, well, <laughs> I mentioned in the Mighty Networks thing, like I'm in this experiment, like I'm in a group that that moved. They were on Facebook. They had a very active group. And now they just moved it over to this uh, uh, other platform. It's Honeycomb. Honey, The comb has two M's is the platform they're using. But, you know, I really do feel like it's one step forward, one step backwards as far mm -hmm. as the engagement, um, the frustrations. You know, there's a group of people that are glad to not have the frustrations of Facebook. And then this other group of people are like, this one sucks, too. Um, or they, they see something else. So I'm, I'm seeing definitely a one step forward, one step backward within this current transition away from Facebook. And I, I don't disagree with you. I was just kind of playing devil's advocate there. And that's part of the struggle I have. You know, we keep mm -hmm. talking about it, but it's like some people like Facebook groups, some people don't. How do you serve both people? Mm -hmm. hopefully we can answer that on a future episode yeah well that's what i'm saying like wherever they're at teach them to improve the experience to what they love to what makes it the best experience for them that's well said well said well i think that's probably a good place to wrap it up on that that beautiful uh beautiful <laughs> quote right there so david thank you so much for joining me here um for an another episode of the online course show this was episode 147 and so uh, folks listening, if they want to check out the show notes, any links that we mentioned throughout the whole, uh, the whole show, you can go to oc.show slash 147. And that's going to do it for this one. We'll be back next week.